0: You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. We've been in a series called Identity, Formation, Community, Mission, and we're going to land this series today, and it's just uh, been an awesome journey. I hope for you, as you've been walking over these past eight weeks, you've really determined, God, where do you have me right now? Am I an identity? Just learning again that I am a son or a daughter of the Most High God, whom He loves, And with whom he is pleased. And sometimes that's the hardest one to get, isn't it? Maybe for you, you're walking through a season of formation where you've been running, maybe you're being tried or tested or tempted. And in that you've been maybe you've been failing for a while, maybe you've been failing quite a bit, and you think, oh, I'm a failure. But the reality is God is simply building spiritual muscle in your life, teaching you to not depend on yourself but to depend on him, teaching you that you can persevere, that you can endure. You're in a strength-building season called formation, but in that you're tried, tested, and tempted. Maybe you're in the place where you're you're walking with new community. You're realizing that your friends determine the direction and the quality of your life. And maybe because of the friends you've been choosing, you realize it hasn't been going the greatest way, and you want to come to a place where you're really choosing wise friends. And then... You're grabbing people who are outside the community of God and inviting them in inclusive community into the kingdom of God. And then maybe for some of you, you're now saying, hey, I'm in a good place there and God's got me on mission. And for some of you, you might have been on mission for a while. You've known the Lord. You've been serving him. You've been kind of living your calling. But maybe your mission has become your identity. You are what you do. And maybe in that, God is bringing you back to remember who you are all the way back To identity. And that's what God's doing uh, as we talk about. Here's what I want you to do today. I want you to realize when we get on God's mission versus on our mission, that we begin to make life not about us. We really begin to make life about God. So instead of expecting God to come along and fulfill our dreams and our mission and our desires and our life plan, kind of using him to fulfill us, to give us something extra in life, it's us getting on board with him. But the first step of doing that is realizing that life is not about me. Here's what I want you to do. Turn to your neighbor or the stranger sitting next to you and say, it's not about me. Go ahead, do that. All right, so now that, now that we've established that, I'm going to tell you a story about me. Back when I was in college uh, as a young male uh, whose cerebral cortex had not fully developed... Um, there are times that at that age, you do some things that are really stupid. Anybody in here done anything ever ever been really stupid? Yeah. Okay. All of us, right? And the ones who didn't raise your hand, you're lying. And so (laughs) we, uh, I went to a Christian college called Biola and down in Biola in in the Los Angeles area, uh, you know, there used to be maybe way back in the day in the undeveloped area of the city of La Mirada. I'm sure that there were like actual creeks that run through or rivers like we have a river here. But, uh, but back there, they, they since have just made them like levees with washes, which is just a big cement gutter. That's all it is. And water will just trickle down that thing. And I'm sure if someday up in the mountains, there's this massive thunderstorm, then the drainage would happen and all that water would run out to the Pacific Ocean. But for the most part, living in my dorm, which was near the wash, nothing ever happened in the, do- in the wash. And it's, it's a massive cement channel. And it's, huge. And in the channel, it runs down toward the ocean, but in the channel, there are these huge cutout drainage pipes. You've seen them. They're like this massive gutter pipe that comes out. It's bigger than a a person. It's, you know, probably six feet by six feet, a big round cylinder and water from somewhere is coming down that and it trickles down and empties out into the wash and eventually all that goes toward the ocean. Well, we had once heard, being that we lived in the dorm and that college students always know what they're talking about, we had once heard that maybe that wash, that one tunnel, goes under La Mirada Boulevard and comes up somewhere in La Mirada Park. And as college students, we thought, this is perfect. We need uh, to figure out where that goes because that might come in handy. Now, I don't know how that would come in handy, but we thought it might come in handy, so we decided to explore it, and of course, we picked the appropriate time to explore it, and that's at night. And so, we get together it's myself it's my younger brother Donnie it's my roommate Dave and we go down into the wash and it's pretty lit up at night like it's you know you get like that orange glow of the sky and there's kind of street lights nearby so it's it's fairly lit up and so we decide we're going to go down into the wash we're going to go in that tunnel and so we go in the tunnel and right away it gets pretty dark you know you go away from the entrance where it's light you start getting back in this cavern and it's dark and there's a little bit of water just gutter water flowing so you don't want to get your shoes you know, messed up. So you're just kind of going like this. You're walking down the tunnel like this. And you're just walking in there further and further. And then you kind of round this corner and everything you can hear, like you hear your footsteps like splash, 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 splash. right? And as we round a corner, now you can't see the light anymore from where you entered. And it gets really dark. We can't see Like it's really hard to see. So my roommate, Dave, he was in the LAPD police academy at the time. And so he pulls out this flashlight, we're like, great, oh, good, he brought a flashlight. So he pulls out this flashlight and then he takes this little like red filter and he turns it and puts the red filter over the lens. And I'm like, what is that? Like, what does that do? It doesn't like, it like, kinda actually blocks the beam of light. I'm like, what does that do? Now you got this red light you're flashing. I mean, it, you, you know, that like, what's it gonna do? Let the zombies know we're one of them, right? <laughs> So we're just going in the tunnel and we're walking through. He's got this little red flashlight. It's not doing anything, but we're wandering through and we're getting pretty far back in there. And there's like not little offshoot tunnels or anything. We're just going way back in and we're trying to judge like, are we far enough to like, shouldn't this go up somewhere? Shouldn't this come out? By the way, again, stupid idea. Don't ever do this. Young people, listen to me. Miles, you got me, man. Come on. All right. Don't ever do this, right? It's a bad idea. So we're walking through and we're going through and we've been going for a while. So finally we're like, we just stop. We're like, man, we got to take a rest, so we just stop, and by this point, we've stopped doing this thing, we're like, we don't care anymore, we're just standing, like, in the water, right, and so we, we stop, and, and as we stop, all of a sudden, we hear, like, splash, 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 up ahead of us, and we're, like, looking around, like, are you walking, like, is that, we're, like, looking around, like, turning the flashlight down, like, none of us are moving, right, we're, like, man, that's creepy, so let's go a little further and check it out, right? Maybe it's an animal or something. Bad idea, right? So we keep going forward and we're going and, and then all of a sudden we get cl- the, those sounds get louder and then we're walking and all of a sudden we stop and we're like, hey! And then all of a sudden we hear like, splash, 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 and it's getting faster and faster and it's coming right toward us and we're like, we're out of here! So we're like, ah, right? So we turn around and we're running and it's crazy because like we're just like right down the middle, water's splashing up and all of a sudden I realize I'm in the back. I was in the front, but now that we turned around, like if, if whoever's in there shoots or something, it's gonna get me. So I'm like trying to run around like this way on the wall, you know, to get around my brother and he's shoving me back to the back. Get back there, you know and he won't let me around. And so we're just booking as fast as we can. And th- I mean, you hear the footsteps and like the adrenaline shoots up and we're running and finally we see the light. Oh, there it is, the light at the end of the tunnel. So we get through that and it's on a slope because, you know, it's got like these big levees. It goes down this big cement, huge wash, almost as wide as like this room, it would seem. And so we go through the outside and and one of us dives to the, r- the left-hand side, one dives to the right, one runs across the wash and goes up in the other hill. And we're all standing there and w- Instead of running away like smart people, we're waiting to see what happens. I don't know why. Again, I'm just saying, not the brightest, right? So we're waiting, and it's just splash, 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 splash. You can hear it coming. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, this, you know, just in the light, the light that's shining a little bit into that tunnel, we... Do you want to know what happens next? Oh, you are entitled. You feel like you deserve to find out what happens next. I'll I'll get back to that story. And Hang on, hang on, get back to that story. We, in our culture, have a problem with entitlement. If you have your sermon outline, take out your notes today. We're going to walk through a little bit of God's word on the issue of entitlement. If you're taking notes today, entitlement says, I deserve. says, I deserve, right? That's the nature of entitlement. You say, how do I know if I'm feeling entitled? It's when you start deserving, saying, I deserve this, I deserve that. When you start doing that, then you are beginning to become entitled, and our culture teaches us to do it all the time. Half of advertising is convincing you that you deserve something, And then they're gonna sell you whatever it is they've tried to convince you that you deserve. So they're gonna try and sell you convenience, they're gonna try and sell you comfort, they're gonna try and sell you sex, they're gonna try and sell you materialism, whatever it is, that's what's gonna happen. But we begin to believe, we begin to say, I deserve, that's how you define entitlement. And so you might say, I deserve a comment on my social networking, because I put a comment on your social networking. You might say, I deserve to be happy, right? Like I deserve it. And you might even come to God, God, listen, I deserve to be happy. Don't you want to make me happy? You might say, I deserve to be able to text my friends in class or while driving or even in church. And I would agree, text in church. Like if God is putting something on your heart here today, text people who aren't here that they start to get curious about what is God doing? What is happening there? They might say, I need to go check out what God is doing there. And they might hear the hope of Jesus in that text in church. I'm okay with that. Now, driving's another matter. Don't do that. I want to tell you, I have friends who are police officers. They say it's so easy to spot somebody texting because you pull up to any spotlight and nobody drives like this just looking down. <laughs> and people try to do it all like, like, you know. But nobody is like in their car looking forward and just looks down at their lap. That's abnormal. Nobody does that. And so it's just pretty easy to tell. But you wa- watch. You watch when you're driving. You pull up to almost any stoplight and people are looking down. It's the nature of our culture, we're almost morphing to be so attached to social networking. You might say, I deserve more vacation and less responsibility. I deserve to borrow your stuff and never have to return it. I deserve deserve to be happy and fussy because feelings should be expressed. I deserve to party and hook up because I gotta get my needs met. I deserve to buy myself something new, well, because I deserve it, it's comfort buying. I deserve to see any video, any movie, regardless of the rating or the content. I deserve to point out what you did wrong and conceal my side in the matter. I deserve, some people say, to get into heaven, whether I believe in Jesus or not. And all the while, when you and I are shouting out, I deserve, our joy is drying up. It's like taking a dipstick. If today, God were to take a dipstick to check the oil that runs your life, the joy in your life, and if if that dipstick were to go in and check the joy that's in your heart or not, what would it read? When you and I get entitled, our joy begins to dry up. And if you're feeling unhappy in life, if you're feeling frustrated in life, if you're feeling uh, just unsettled in life, A lot of times the first place you and I can look is our joy. Why? We find that that this quote, the more I focus on me, the more unhappy I'll be. Isn't that the truth? That the more we focus on ourselves, the more we make life about us, the more we make the world revolve around us, our little world, it. And, and then we get more intense about anybody who impacts that, about anybody who impacts our freedoms. We become more and more unhappy, and we don't realize the culprit is we're just trying to please ourselves. and Our joy dries up. Well, Jesus has come off of being tempted by Satan. And by the way, when Jesus was in his formative season, uh, Satan oftentimes tempts you and me with things we actually deserve, like he tempted Jesus with things that Jesus actually deserved. Let's look at the three real quick that he tempted Jesus with. First of all, he he tempted him with bread to eat. Jesus was the God-man, the only one who existed. He was flesh like you and me. And in that, he had survival needs like eating. And he tempted him with that, and Jesus resisted. He uh, tempted Jesus with rescue from injury. He said, prove that you're the son of God. If you throw yourself off the top of this temple and land the ground, the Old Testament scripture says that that you will, uh, the angel will come and catch you before your foot strikes a stone. And Jesus is God. He doesn't have to, d- to prove it to anyone, including Satan. But Jesus resisted that temptation. Satan was telling him, you actually deserve this, but you got to prove it to me. And Jesus resisted that. Jesus resisted when Satan tempted him with power and authority over all the world. Do you realize that Jesus is the one who said, all power, all authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth has been given to me. And so he's he's got it all, but the enemy is saying, well, listen, there's parts in the world, the culture, the nature of the world, the way our world operates that are under his control, not under the control of God. And he's saying, I will offer you even that, but you got to compromise and worship me. Jesus said, away from me, Satan. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And so Satan fled from him. Jesus walked through formation. But the interesting thing is, Satan tempted Jesus with some things that Jesus, being God, actually deserved. He's going to come along and tempt you with some of the same same things, just simply telling you, you deserve. And all the while, your joy is going to dry up. It's interesting Jesus now comes. He grabs his uh, disciples and he begins to get on mission. And and here at the beginning of his mission, Jesus is on mission as a suffering servant to redeem the world from our sin. And and he's on mission, but he's doing miracles. He's doing some great things. And and what's going to happen is he's now going to challenge the entitlement of the Jewish people. You remember the Jewish people were like, we are the children of God. We are God's chosen people. We have been all throughout the Old Testament, and they felt very entitled that, you know what? We are God's special ones. We are God's chosen people, and Jesus comes along as a Jewish person to challenge the entitlement of his race. In Luke chapter four, open with me in your Bibles there if you've got that with you or on your, your tablet or your smartphone. Or if you're watching online, grab that. It says this in Luke chapter four, beginning with verse 16. Speaking of Jesus, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Let me time out right there. As was his custom. On the Sabbath, Jesus went to church every week. That was his custom. Jesus went to church. If you don't realize that, you got to realize Jesus was modeling for us that we need the regular time to Sabbath, We need time to focus on the Lord. We need time to gather with God's people. It was Jesus' custom. People think Jesus wandered around and kind of maybe avoided organized religion. No, he went to church to worship God every week. It continues, it says this, he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, quote, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing." So they're sitting there, and they get a picture of these people in Nazareth. Jesus spent basically his upper childhood, junior high and senior high years in that town. He's known among the people there, but he's gone out, he's gone on mission, and people have begun to hear that Jesus has begun to do these amazing miracles. And they're super excited, right? Jesus is coming back to town he's coming back. And, and maybe some of you are here today and, and it's a homecoming for you because you've graduated college or you're, you're back from school. Uh, maybe you've got a family member with you today or a friend and it feels like a homecoming. Or maybe you've come here and as you wandered in today, you just felt like, man, this this place just feels like home. I don't know why, but it just does. And maybe you're brand new here and you're like, I don't know, the verdict's still out, but I'm liking the people. And I want to say if you're here today and you're our guest, we love that it's, you're in the right place. It feels like home. But here are the people of Jesus's hometown are saying he's coming back and we've heard he does miracles. We've heard he does amazing things and there's excitement in church. And so they give him the scroll. And he reads that day, and you got to realize when Jesus says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, that this is a perfect passive indicative. You say, What in the world does that mean? It means that Jesus is saying, Listen, the scripture, the Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah that I just read, has right now, today, in church, right here, it has been fulfilled, and it's going to continue being fulfilled as I carry on my ministry. And the people, don't get it. They're like, that's nice. In fact, we know this because of the next verse. Look what what is said in verse 22. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son they asked? Like it just completely went over their heads. Like they just didn't get it that Jesus said, listen, the kingdom of God has come. It's come in me right now here today. I'm going to begin to fulfill the mission of the philosophy of ministry of the coming Messiah, it's me and it goes right over their heads. And what I want you to understand is they missed it because of something. They missed it because they did not esteem Jesus. To him, he was one of them. To him, he existed to benefit the town and the people just like they did. They thought he was just like us. And we're going to treat him just like us, which really means that there was no place in their hearts for Jesus. And they missed him. Sometimes it happens to you and to me. We come to church, we're gathering here together. It's all about Jesus. But we're here today maybe to say, God, I deserve, I deserve to be propped up. I deserve to be strengthened. I deserve to be encouraged. I deserve to learn more. I deserve to be challenged in my life. And we begin to say, I deserve, I deserve. And we're in the presence of almighty God and it's easy for us to put the wedge of entitlement between us and God. And we can miss him. Does your heart esteem him? Is there room in your heart for Christ? Well, Jesus notices what they've just done. And so he says in verse 23, Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. What has he done in Capernaum? He's healed people. He's made the blind see. He has done amazing miracles there. And what you can just see them. They're like, this, this is awesome. Like Jesus just said, do here in your hometown what you've done elsewhere. And you can just see them like rubbing their hands together. This is it. He's going to do a miracle here today in church. A miracle is going to happen. In fact, if it were today, you, you would be bringing out your phone and you'd be going to the video thing and you'd be getting ready. Like, okay, here, I'm, I'm going to be able to show the world that I was in church when the miracle happened. And they were so ready, they're just anticipation, expectation of a miracle. They wanted what Jesus might do for them, but they didn't esteem Jesus. Sometimes you and I want God to do for us what builds up our mission, instead of wanting Jesus, that He is the treasure, that He is the one that we esteem, that he is the source of our joy. He's the source of our comfort. He's the source of our gladness. But we want him to do what we think we deserve. And so it was the case of the people in Jesus' hometown so Jesus says in verse 24, truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of like those widows, right? He was sent to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. In other words, instead of going to Uh, As an Israeli prophet, as a Hebrew prophet, instead of being sent to the widows who were in desperate need, he was sent outside the country. He was sent to a Gentile, and a miracle happened outside of his hometown. He says then in verse 27 And there were many in Israel with leprosy, horrible disease, in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. So here's Elisha. He's a prophet from God. But the only person healed of leprosy is a guy from Syria. He's not even a Hebrew. And the people in Jesus' hometown hear this. What Jesus is doing is he's laying down the heart of God. What he's doing is he's saying this, that God's forgiveness is not just for the Israeli nation or the Hebrew people that the blessing of the Hebrew people is that the Messiah will come through them and because they'll be blessed that the Messiah was born among that race, that he now will be a blessing to the entire earth. So through the Jewish people, Because of Jesus, now the Gentiles, those outside, all nations, all peoples have full access to God, have the right to become a son or daughter of the most high God whom he loves, with whom he is well pleased. And the people hear this and they get incredibly angry. And this may be on your outline and if not, you might want to write it. Those expecting God to accomplish their mission get off mission. What's the quickest way for you to work through identity, formation, community, and get on mission for God? What's the easiest way to get off mission? Is to begin God to expect him to accomplish your mission. And instead of saying, God, here I am, send me what's on your heart, what makes your heart break, what do you want me to do, how have you uniquely gifted me to get on mission with you, we begin saying, God, that's great and all, but I really want you to make me comfortable. I really want you to help my mission succeed. God, I really want you to do a miracle so that my mission looks amazing, like the people in church expected a miracle the day that Jesus showed up in his hometown those expecting god to accomplish their mission get off mission what happens verse 28 all the people in the city of god were furious when they heard this and they got up and they drove him out of the town and they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way i've been in nazareth and you go up on this hillside above the town and down below it's like a massive landslide. It's almost like a half dome type cliff. And you just see like they drug him up there and they're going to throw him off the cliff. And so what happens is Jesus says no prophet is accepted in his own hometown and, and, so, and he's like, I'm not doing a miracle. And they get so mad, they're like, well, we're going to show you, homeboy. So they grab a homeboy, and they take him up on top of the cliff. They're going to throw him off the cliff. And it's just an amazing thing, because you can just see this whole crowd movement happening. Jesus right at the front. They're like, we're going to throw him down. It is a mob scene that is happening, and Jesus walks right through the crowd. Let me tell you something. The God who has no problem walking on water, or after his resurrection, walking through walls to visit the disciple, has no problem walking through the crowd. And so here they expect, you need to show us a miracle. Jesus said, I'm not going to do it. And they're like, okay, homeboy, we're going to throw you off the cliff. And then Jesus says, yeah, I'll show you a miracle. It's called the disappearing act. And he walks through the crowd. And he keeps on mission. And the people leave frustrated that God seemed to leave their midst, not accomplishing what they wanted to do, angry at God that he meddled in their plans. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you're angry at God that he meddled in your plans to carry out sin. Maybe you're angry that God keeps pursuing you even though you keep stiff-arming him. Maybe you're angry that God has not worked out your happiness how you perceive it should have been worked out or that he hasn't made life work out how you picture life working out. And Maybe like the people in Nazareth or the people in this room in our hearts, we put a wedge between us and God. And maybe God's saying, let me help you remove that wedge so that you and I can be on mission together. That your joy can come back, that your joy could increase. See, studies, even in our culture, not religious studies, but studies in our culture that show how people break entitlement, they find there are three factors. You might wanna write these down. Number one, that people who grow out of the entitlement complex understand, first of all, their unique creativity. They understand this is something I bring to the table that I'm uniquely gifted with to do or to be or to help with, this is is who I am. So they understand their unique creativity. Second, they find a cause worth fighting for and then they begin to live out that cause. So they find a cause worth fighting for. All over our world, we see people looking, searching, hoping for a cause to be worth fighting for. And it's a social cause or it's a sports cause, or it's whatever, but they're finding some cause that's greater than themselves to try to work for and live for, and they begin to live for it. And then third, the third thing that happens when people break entitlement that helps them is that they gain a worldwide appreciation of all peoples and nations instead of their own little country, their own little world, their own little life. And for some of us in this world, you've been praying that God would meet your picture of the American dream. For others of you in this room, you've been praying that God would meet your picture of what Elk Grove should look like, and for some of you, what your neighborhoods look like, and some of you, what the people in your house should look like, and for some of you, it's your own little world. And slowly, subtly, you begin to expect God to give you what you deserve. Those who resist entitlement, those who get their joy back, right? Those who resist entitlement go from demanding help to delivering help. So if you're on mission and you get off mission, you get all entitled and you realize, I've, I've just started to use the time. I don't have time to serve anyone else. I don't have time to serve God. I don't have time to use my unique gifted. I don't have time to live for a calling beyond myself. I don't t- have time to get a worldwide appreciation of all peoples and nations. In fact, my, my view has narrowed and it's just been about me. If that subtly has happened to you like it happens to me sometimes, God wants to get us back on mission. How do you do it? You break entitlement. You resist entitlement to go from demanding help to delivering it. That's how you get back on mission. You go from demanding it to delivering it. See, people on mission for God, they don't have time for like lame arguments about stuff. They don't have time to worry too much about the concerns and cares of the world because they're on the worries and the concerns of God's heart in a fallen world, a corrupted world, a decaying world. That's what they care about is that there are people living in a world like that that God will ultimately redeem. And that's what they get. They don't have time for lame arguments. They don't have time for jealousies. They don't have time for posturing. They don't have time for quarreling. Those things all happen when you and I act worldly. Why do we fight and quarrel? Because we don't get what we deserve, James says in James chapter 4. Sometimes you and I are on mission, but we begin to get off mission, and God corrects us. He brings us back to identity because we've forgotten our identity. A number of years ago there was a kind of internet sensation, a little kid who would call himself Kid President. You remember Kid President? Okay, Kid President once said this don't stop believing. Unless your dream is stupid. <laughs> then get a better dream. But isn't there some truth in that, right? Sometimes we're we're living for a dream that, that is off mission. We're saying, God, I want to live life plan number one. I want to have a great career. I want to have enough to retire. I want to settle in. And God's going, that's life plan number one. That's not a biblical life. You're saying, God, I want a life that's comfortable. I want a life that revolves around me. God's going, that's not my mission, my dream for your life. In fact, that is such a meaningless, joyless existence. Then you start looking at your watch, waiting for the mailman to show up. You are not living for any big mission, but did they deliver mail on time? And if the guy goes on vacation and goes on a different route and mail doesn't come when it comes, you're frustrated. What happened? We got off mission. We started caring about inconsequential things. Unentitled people, people who break entitlement, live from their identity. Their identity is this, that just as Jesus Christ came not to be served but to serve, they say, I'm a servant. God, my agenda is to get on your mission. What you want me to do, God, that's what I want to do. So they volunteer. They serve God's kingdom. They serve his mission. They're always finding ways to live a greater story, greater than their own career, greater than their own life. I'll tell you, some of you, you have children growing up in your home, bored with the picture of life that you're representing to them. In their heart, they're wanting a big adventure. They are wanting to be on mission, but they are, they are tired of living for comfort. They are weary of living for existence. And they're saying, please, can't you please model for me a dream that's bigger than just us? Can you live a bigger story? So let's unpack Jesus' mission and find out what he was talking about in that scroll that he unrolled in Isaiah chapter 61. Open your Bibles with me, Isaiah 61, beginning with verse 1. Jesus reads, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, which can also be translated for the blind. Goes on, verse 2, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. And to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Ashes were the public symbol that you were in grieving. You'd throw ashes up on your head and on your clothing, and it would be a symbol that I am grieving, I'm, I'm in distress right now. You cry just like that. And they would you throw ashes on yourself. He says this: to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Do you realize the picture that they use there is the picture of the word, the, word, the kind of tree is an oak. An oak is a strong tree. If you want strong wood, you're going to build a piece of furniture, you might want oak. It's a very strong wood, but you'll notice it doesn't say there. They will be called a redwood. Redwoods are these amazing trees. They're huge. We see them here in California. If you go up, you look up at the top, you're like, how can something this big exist? But you look around the forest and there's toppled redwoods around. Redwoods send out their roots this way. They don't have a tap root. And so they kind of try to hold on to each other. But if a strong wind comes along, they will fall down. That mighty huge tree will fall. But that's not the picture that the, is used in scripture. It says that these Who've experienced the ministry of the Lord Jesus, the ministry of the coming Messiah, will be planted. They will be rooted. The oak has an amazing taproot that goes straight down. It is hard to get rid of an oak tree because it is that strong. And he's saying that's the kind of person who goes from mourning and despair and experiences the joy of the Lord. That was Christ's mission. To take those of us without hope and give us hope. He goes on in Isaiah 61, verse 10. He says, I delight greatly in the Lord. Listen, my soul rejoices in my God. How do you get the joy back? The rejoice back? How do you get it back? I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices greatly in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation he's arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes a sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Did he say just the Jewish people? What kind of nations was that? All nations, right? God's going to cause righteousness and praise to springer from all nations. Is that because he's going to make people be better people? No. It's because he's going to hang on a cross and his righteousness is going to leak out to those who would put their faith and trust in him that there's this unfair trade that happens. That God takes upon himself what we deserve, punishment, the wrath of God for our sin. And he will take that And said, trade to us his righteousness, that he was perfect without sin, never with a fault. What did he deserve? He deserved comfort. He deserved honor. He deserved authority. He deserved it all. And he was unrighteously killed by those he came to save. But he says, listen, through my sacrifice for you on the cross, when you put your faith and trust in me, my righteousness is transferred to you. And all your sin and shame and brokenness is transferred to me. And I'll take it and pay for it in full and it will be canceled out. And so because of Jesus, righteousness and praise back to God the Father exists because of what Jesus did on the cross. That was his mission. That was his philosophy of ministry. It was Jesus being on mission was to deny himself, to take up his cross and be obedient to the Father, even unto death. And then he rose from the grave Conquering death, ascended to heaven as God. Listen, those who go from I deserve to I serve find that their joy on the inside increases. And when you stop saying I deserve, and you say, well, I will, instead of deserving, I'll do what? I'll serve. I I want you to look at the word deserve for a minute. It has the word serve in there, doesn't it? But that D-E at the front is like the, the anti part. It's like I descend instead of I ascend, right? It's, it's, it's I go down. It's the, it's the negative side when you put that on the front of a word. And, and really, when you say I deserve, you're saying I refuse to serve. I won't serve. I am only concerned about me and my busyness and my life and myself. Listen, it's really easy. It's what our culture preaches. Some of you in this room are like, hey, I can come here to church. People will watch my kids. I get a break. But I'll never watch anybody else's kids. Maybe you're saying you deserve. Maybe you'd say, I could help out in there every now and then. I could help set the date for those who don't know Christ. I could serve with children. I could serve with youth. I could serve during the week in the church. I could serve outside the walls of the church and benefit our community. I could volunteer in a lot of different ways. But what happens when you and I say I deserve, it's saying I won't. I refuse to serve. And the root of that is always our pride, isn't it? But when you and I go from I deserve, and we say, no, I will serve, then our joy increases. All of a sudden the dipstick goes in and the joy in our heart increases because of what we are saying. We're breaking entitlement. Rick Warren said this, people think happiness comes from getting everything they want. Happiness comes from self-sacrifice. Think about happiness. The joy on the inside comes when you and I sacrifice, when we say self-sacrifice. So how did Jesus do it? We look at the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, chapter 2, beginning with 14, speaking of Christ, it says, since children have flesh and blood, he too showed in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death, saying Christ, because of what he did on the cross, he has broken the fear of death. Sometimes the fear of death is the fear of losing our kingdom. I can't take it with me. I can't keep my health, no matter how much you know, uh, so how much like plastic surgery I might try, no matter how much working out I might try, no matter how much stuff I might accumulate, no matter what I do, I will eventually, I am mortal, I will decay. I can't take it with me. I can't keep it all. And the biggest fear sometimes is not what's going to happen after death, but that you lose everything you've worked to attain because you live for your mission. You lived out of, I deserve But those who break entitlement and begin to live on mission for God because of their hope in Christ, because of their assurance of what happens after death, have joy. So even walking through the valley of the shadow of death, even struggling with death, that final struggle that we will not win, and it sometimes won't come fast enough, and it sometimes is more brutal than we realize, but there is an assurance that when that moment arrives, we are in the presence of Jesus. Jesus that we have an inheritance in heaven. Listen, that will never perish or spoil or fade. We're going to talk about that over the next few weeks, what it looks like to live right now like we're dying. And so what does it look like for us to think about it? that we go and we come before God, we have an inheritance. It will never perish. It will never spoil. It will never fade. It is kept in heaven for us. It will never need a software update. It will never go out of date. It will always be in style. It will always be waiting for it. It will never wear down. You never have to replant it. There's never a drought. And our bodies will work again. And there is hope in heaven that the tensions of life are gone. There's fulfillment. There's fulfillment. We were made whole. That day is coming. Jesus rejected entitlement to stretch out his hands and accomplish God's mission and took upon himself what we deserve. If we wanna say, hey, I deserve, you know what we really deserve? We all, every one of us in the room, we deserve hell. Some of you hate that statement. I can't believe you just said that. The pastor told me I deserve hell. The pastor's telling himself he deserves hell. What do we deserve? Because we have sinned, the consequences of sin are eternal separation from God, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. He offers us a free gift of eternal life through him that he paid it all on the cross, but that gift is only going to those who would receive it, those who would take it, and sometimes even those who take it say, thank you, Lord, for sacrificing for me, but my culture trains me to get entitled, and I'm not willing to sacrifice back for you. In the tunnel, I feared for my life. Do you want to know how the story ended? Oh, you're still entitled. I see how it is. You're gonna to have to wait a little bit. Maybe you've begun to say, "I deserve." Just subtly on the inside, it just started creeping up. Maybe that angst you're feeling, maybe that joylessness you're feeling on the inside, is a is an indicator that there's something deeper going on. And maybe you've just subtly begun to put the wedge between you and God that says, "I deserve." And you're waiting for him to figure it out. And maybe God's saying, I've shown you how to figure it out. I want your joy to increase. Are you seeking God to fulfill your mission, or are you seeking God to fulfill his mission? See, those expecting God to accomplish their mission get off mission. When we were in that tunnel and we came running out and we hear these footsteps splashing behind us and we dive to the right and we dive to the left and we we go on the other side of the wash and we're standing there listening and we hear the footsteps coming toward us. I mean, they're coming and they're still running and and the light shines just a little bit into that tunnel. It shines just in there a little bit so we can't see all the way in because now our eyes are accustomed to light, but we can see where the light goes in and these, these feet come running up And they run, and all of a sudden we see like these canvas shoes, we see these legs, and then there's just shadow from here on up, and we never found out who it was. (laughs) It's the worst story ever. (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) But literally, like, we waited. We're like, which is stupid. Why would you wait, right? You're getting chased. Who is it? You know, just run. Just get away. Don't be dumb. But we waited, and eventually they just turned around. Went back in the tunnel, and literally, like, to this day, all these years later, I still don't know. I mean, people, when they get to heaven, they're like, God, how was the world created? God, how did this happen? I'm going to be like, one question. Who was in the tunnel? That's it. That's all I want know. I'm good. I'm good with all the rest of that. One question. We're entitled, aren't we? We feel like we deserve the answer, we deserve to know, we deserve it to be about us, we deserve resolution and sometimes God goes, there's not always resolution in this world, but I am the resolution you're seeking, I am the end that you're looking for and let me give you some practical ways to break entitlement. Maybe for you, you need to go on a social media fast. You might say, hey, the next 40 days or the next 30 days or whatever, I'm going dark on social media because you just maybe have been caught in the comparison game, or you've been been promoting yourself in such a way that you're like, I got to break that. Maybe for me, breaking entitlement is just going dark. Some of you need to volunteer. You need to get your hands dirty. So instead of just receiving and receiving and receiving, even in your church, that you would say, how can I volunteer? God, what is my unique giftedness? What is a calling that is greater than myself? And how can I gain an appreciation for all people and all nations, not just my own little world? And the way to do that is to volunteer. And you might need to get involved here in church in any way that God puts on your heart. We'd love to connect you. And for some of you, you may need to sacrifice something for yourself that you were saving up maybe even for yourself. An experience you wanted that you wanted for yourself. Maybe it's something you've been saving for yourself and you need to sacrifice that and give instead. Maybe you need to to benefit a nonprofit. Maybe you need to give to make our culture better. Maybe you need to give something here at church. But what you need to do, you got to realize that the antidote to our greed, to our entitlement, is generosity. And let me tell you, our giving or our lack of giving reveals the condition of our heart. We can have all the words that we want. Oh, I'm generous. I love being generous. I love that my church is so generous. But maybe you're never generous even in our church. See, if we give or we don't give, it actually reveals something going on in her heart. That's the symptom, but the source is what's happening in here. What I want you to do is drink in the truths of Jesus. Instead of entitlement, what does he offer us? Listen again to some of these phrases from Isaiah 61. I want you to just, just drink in these truths. Listen attentively That God will comfort all who mourn. Are are there any mourners here today? Come on, be honest. It's been tough. It's been mourning. You're mourning a loss. You're mourning a person. Awesome. He'll provide for those who grieve. Is anybody grieving here today? Come on, just be honest. You're just like, that's me, man. Just my heart. I'm grieving. Whatever, right? God will bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Anybody in despair? You've just been in despair for a while. It's so right for you to be here today. God's saying there's room to have joy instead of despair they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. What does he want to do? He wants to heal stuff in you. And then he wants to give you and me a deep taproot. He wants to make us grounded and firm and on mission for him, not easily moved. He wants to come and bring that healing in us, the wholeness in us as we sacrifice and like him, give our lives for his mission, for his cause. And that is stable. It will never be taken from you. It will never wander away. And God is saying that for you. Let me just ask, just just not a way of pride, but somebody saying, God's in the process of making me an oak. Would you just say, God's doing something to me? Would you just raise your hand anywhere around the room? God's doing that all over the place. He's in process. He's in process of growing us through identity and formation and community and mission to get us on mission for his kingdom. Maybe today you realize you need a changed mission, a changed life, a better story, and increased joy. Will you bow your heads with me for just a moment? Perhaps today you're realizing for the first time that Jesus took your sin upon the cross and he'll offer you back eternal life, forgiveness of your sin, a new creation on the inside. But you have to give faith to what he did on the cross. And if that's you today, I want you to introduce yourself to Jesus by praying a prayer right like this, right where you're seated. You just pray right after me. Jesus, today I give you me. I believe you died on that cross for my sin. I believe that you are God. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. Make me a new creation on the inside. Because today, I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.